Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the Q&A panel discussion from our February UX event. Career paths in the experienced economy are not a straight line, so this discussion will focus on what the different career path options are in product and UX, and how establishing and coaching employees on career paths can result in better products, teams, retention, and company cultures for everyone. You'll hear from Wade Shearer, Lauren Treasure, Joe Pemberton, Nisa Farley, with Dylan Winspear moderating. A big thanks to Western Governors University for hosting this meetup. And finally, be sure to join our community on Slack, where there's always lots of great conversation happening about UX, product management, and more. You can get an invite to our Slack group and find more information about Product Hive at ProductHive.org. So now, let's hear the discussion on flexible career paths and why they matter. Uh, I'm really excited to, uh, to help out tonight and be a part of this panel. Uh, I was very humbled with the opportunity to be able to moderate. I wasn't nervous until I realized who was on the panel. Uh, and you've got a lot of great talent up here. Uh, I know you guys are already aware of this. That's why you're here. Uh, but you've got a great opportunity to ask some questions uh, and get insights from, from really experts in the field and in the industry. We've got a very balanced panel. Uh, we've got representation from both more of the UX side and the product management side. Uh, I'm curious, so just by raise of hands, how many here come from more of the UX background? Design back, oh, that's a lot of hands. Okay, and because I couldn't count that fast enough, how about product management? Okay, cool. Um, like I said, We've got a very balanced panel, and I want you guys to kind of start maybe thinking through some of those questions or those thoughts, ideas that you've had in preparation for tonight, because in just a moment, we'll get started. We'll open this up, uh, and it's a general Q&A forum, so we can ask questions, and we can go as deep on a topic as you like. We can change directions as fast as you'd like. Um, you know, anything goes when you got a panel like this. So uh, before we get going, again, I'll introduce myself. My name is Dylan Winspear. Uh, I am at Domo, where I run the creative team for the mobile product. Uh, we work on the iOS and Android platforms. Uh, I also run a podcast called Design Today, which I will shamelessly plug right now before we get started. Um, I could go deeper, but I'll stop right there. Um, and then I'm going to get a chance actually to introduce everyone on this panel, because like I said, these are the experts that you guys came to hear from today. Uh, so first we've got uh, Lauren Treasure. She is the VP of Product at Chatbooks. This is the pop quiz that I hope I remembered everything. <laughs> uh, we got Nisa, who she's here at Western Governors University. Another small fact, she and my mom know each other, so that's kind of cool, a small world. Um, Nisa comes from the product management background as well. She's a senior manager of product here at Western Governors University. Uh, you got Wade Shearer. Everyone, everyone knows Wade. Everyone knows Wade, right? Everyone knows Wade. You got multiple claps, not a single clap. That was cool. <laughs> I aspire to multiple clap days. <laughs> I've arrived. <laughs> You've arrived. Uh, Wade is at Workfront where he manages kind of both a little bit of product management and UX, but does come from the UX background. Uh, and then on the end, we've got Joe Pemberton, who we're grateful to have out here in Utah, too. He comes from uh, a background in San Francisco. Were you originally in San Francisco before? I was not born there. You're not? Okay. No, so I spent trans 11 years in the Bay Area. Okay. And then he's been out here for... Five years. Uh, he works at Boncom, 
um, where they've served a handful of clients on more of the agency aspect. So with that, um, I think we should get this thing rolling. Does that sound good? Yes. Okay. Um, we can go ahead and kick it off. If there's anyone who's itching to ask a question to start this thing off, we can go. Otherwise, I've got a question. Oh, now that's piqued everyone's interest, so I guess I better start there. <laughs> um, no, so in preparation for this, you guys, you guys know the topic, right? Flexible career paths, why they matter. Um, I was sent a message on LinkedIn from someone who wasn't able to make it tonight, and she had a great question. Uh, she's early in her design career, uh, and she's recognizing that the breadth of UX and what UX specifically covers is getting wider and wider. It covers things like architecture. It covers things like animation. It covers things like UI design. So when somebody posts a title like UX design, really, what is the skill set they're, they're looking for? And the question that they're actually most interested in is, because of how wide it's getting, is there an area of focus that maybe someone should start learning first as they're trying to get into the UX career? Wait, I'm going to go to you first. This is, this is a press conference style. Turn on your mic. <laughs> My first thought is it depends on what kind of job you want. So I'll throw that back at you. But, but it depends on what you want to do and the kind of company that you want to work for. So the smaller company, the broader skill set you're going to need. The larger company, the more that you're able to specialize and the more they're looking for you to specialize. Uh, generally, though, if I had to just give you an answer for anyone, I would say do focus. Uh, the more that you can di differentiate yourself uh, between all of the candidates that are out there and, and uh, all those that are applying for the same job that you are, the better chance you're going to get. So you want, definitely want to be able to be well-rounded, to be able to show that you have competence in all of the different areas. But if you can come and you can say, show me that there's something that you're passionate about, something that you've invested in and a skill that you've developed, that's going to help you. Uh, so if you're looking for an answer, I know she's not in the room um, <laughs> to, uh, to ask that question, but if you're looking an answer for me to tell you it absolutely should be iconography or ethnographic research, I, I, I wouldn't give you that because if I gave you that and everybody went out and they became masters in ethnography, then that would, that would make it so that you weren't differentiated and that we were, wouldn't have the diversity on the team that we need. Yeah. So my challenge to you would, or my answer to you would be, find out the thing that you're passionate about. What drives you? What really inspires you across this? And that's why it's such an exciting field, because it is so diverse. When you guys are hiring, are you looking to find somebody with a couple of specific skill sets per position, or is it pretty broad when you're looking to hire? I've heard... Uh, other people describe filling specific needs, uh, and then they actually post jobs for them. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't do it that way uh, because, honestly, recruiting is so hard that it is hard enough to get someone through the door that I'm I'm not going to narrow that at all. Sure, it's I I want I want to bring in anybody that I can find. Sure, uh, but we do know specifically on our teams where we're lacking. We know the kind of projects we're going to be working on the next year, the next two years, and we know where we need to beef up our strengths in those areas. And so we do weigh that into consideration, but we're also fluid where we're moving people around. So you, you might be taking someone on this team that's just 
rolling off of a project for nine months and we know they're going to be good and we're going to move them over there and backfill the new hire over here. Uh, so we are always considering it, but we're not specifically hiring for that. Cool. I, I would agree Joe. with everything Wade has said about just in general, like the smaller the company, the more generalized the UX is going to be. Just if you look at the nature of that a smaller organization, UX might be new and and they're going to want a lot from that person to contribute from interaction design to visual design, maybe even prototyping. And in that scenario, they might even look for someone who can code a little bit. Um, and I, th and I mm -hmm. think um, what Wade is saying about the, the larger, the more mature the company, the larger the company, the more room there is for specialization and the, and the more, more room for them to have specialized teams, like a, a whole team dedicated to user research, for example. Um, whereas in that smaller agency, someone who's scrappy and can float between hats um, and dabble in user research is going to be really valuable. I think in terms of that question, like where should you focus, I kind of picture a bell curve a little bit of like on the one end of the bell curve, you've got user research and information architecture. And as the bell curve gets wider, it's, it's interaction design and visual design at the heaviest part of the bell curve. In terms of when I say that, I, I mean in terms of the quantity of jobs available that need interaction design, visual design. Mm -hmm. And then you've get, you move into motion prototyping, motion design, um, and at the furthest end of that spectrum of, of front-end front -end code. So um, I don't think most people here would say that front-end code is a UX discipline, but I do think that it has a place to play in the whole mix of... Um, of that bell yeah. curve. Um, and I think you could observe that too with like a larger company will have that same bell curve in their organization. They'll have user researchers, they'll have interaction design, visual design. Um, yeah. That's cool. I appreciate those insights. Nisa, Lauren, you guys, anything you want to share from maybe a product management side? What is it maybe that perks your interest there? Yeah, one thing that came to mind as they were describing this is you'd look at how product management it works in various companies and you're going to see, you look at 10 different companies, you're going to see 10 different ways that product management is employed. 12 different ways. 12 different ways <laughs> that it, product management is employed. Is so, right. So, so when it comes to hiring a product manager, of course we're looking for certain skills, we're looking for certain things, but, and, and always I'm looking for someone that's technically adept, but one of the things that I can't train is personality, and I can't train work ethic. And I, there are certain things that I can't ever train. And so, so when you're bringing those to the table and th those things that are invaluable in, in a successful employee, those are the type of things that are, are almost more important to me in hiring a product manager than than some of the you know, specialized skill sets that some, you know, somebody might say, oh, I'm really good at agile. Okay, what does that mean to you? And so because there's so many diff definitions and product managers come from so many diverse backgrounds, um, it's oftentimes I find myself looking at the tiebreaker being those underlying things that are, that are more around personality and work ethic and, and those type of things. So that's, you know, just a different perspective yeah, on it. totally appreciate it. Lauren, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I guess I, I totally agree with everything that has been said already. But I would also add that, um, you know, in, in addition to looking at somebody's portfolio and resume experience, 
Uh, one thing that I think always seems to kind of rule someone out um, on our UX team is uh, if they're not able to show how they focus on the problem, uh, the customer problem, and that they know how to really understand what that is and how to solve for it. And uh, I think a lot of times in interviews, we see people be kind of general and talk about why they made certain visual decisions or, um, you know, how they how they arrived at the, the UI that they're showing us. But I really think you should be able to go deep into whatever it is your, your specialty is, whether you're also in consumer or B2B, just show that you know how to focus on your customer, understand what the problem is, and um, use your UX skills to really solve that problem. Yeah. That's great insight. Let's go on ahead and open it up. Jeremy, we had a question, then I'll jump over here after that. I'm curious, so there's obviously different... Sorry, one sec. Will you go ahead and run him that mic? We want to make sure everyone talks into a mic tonight because the mics are piped into our video. So Don't let that scare you either. The mics aren't scary. <laughs> Ask your questions. They do not bite or talk. So um, I think I think that was, that's great advice for for people looking for a job. I'm curious to how you coach your teams on career paths and help them identify their strengths and what that what you know their future career paths could mean for them. Yeah, for me, um, I'm going to go back to the hiring question, and then I'll come back to your your question um when you're looking to when you're looking to hire you're looking for you kind of have a sense of where the balance is on your team if your team's more visual you want to augment with someone who's who's able to handle wicked information problems um and tear tear apart interactions and and go deep in that um, um and so when you're coaching someone on your team you're kind of looking for what's your superpower um and if, if you're really good at something, I want to make sure that you're the be- you can be the best at that thing, rather than saying, you're good at interaction design, but I want you to go take some typography classes because um, I don't necessarily want you to be our best typography guy. I might have that on my team. Um, and so, but that's, they're all, that's the coaching moment where you're like, what do you want to be? Um, where, where's your passion? You, do you want to get more into user research and you want to synthesize other people's research um how how can i help you grow in that area um i don't know i guess one of the other thoughts i've been thinking tonight is just i do think there's value in um if if you're still in school if you're if you're figuring out what you want to do in you in ux um i think there is value in sort of figuring out what a specialization you might be interested in but but don't be afraid of that plus one like don't be afraid of like I want to go deep in interaction design, but my plus one is I want to figure out how to do guerrilla approach people on the street and show them and show them my interaction design, see if they can get it, um, or fill in the blank with what your plus one should be. Um, are you are you guys familiar with the concept of the T shaped skill set? Um, I'm a big believer in that that you can have a lot of broad things that you become familiar with or that you've worked on in your career. Um, but figure out what your depth is and you'll you'll do yourself a favor. Um, but I also think like I think Jared Spool has a, a talk he gave about it's not really a T, it's a comb. <laughs> I think is his analogy. Like you can have multiple depths in that. And but I but I do think um, 
it's a little bit misguided to believe that you can be a specialist and have equal depth in all those fields, um, especially with how mature the UX field is just as a, uh, as a discipline. It's, there's so many um, specializations. Something that I've been having a lot of conversations with as we specifically been building our career paths at Workfront is helping to people, helping the team members to understand that a, a, a significant part of it is time. Um, I have found, not just at Workfront, but across the industry, that we've become really impatient. Uh, as this industry has exploded and there is so much demand for this, uh, there are a lot of uh, people entering the market that want to take the shortcut and the fast track through their career. And so my advice to you would be slow down, be patient, Patience. and realize you need to invest your time. Yeah. You're, you should not be a 23-year-old senior designer. And if you what? are, someone has done you a big disservice, whether that was a mentor or whether that was an employer that gave you that title. They have because you have now missed out on that growth and that career path that should have taken you to that place. Uh, And so something that I keep um, trying to communicate to people is that it isn't just about checking off boxes. So much to career advancement are soft skills and things that can only come with maturity. Um, I've seen so many people that say, they, you know, they look over a job description for a senior designer position and they say, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. Well, you might know how to run sketch. You might know how to draw up a persona or you might know how to go on site with and do a contextual in, in interview with a customer. But how many times have you done it? Right. And how many times have you done it well? And what have you done with that information? Uh, and so it doesn't matter that you can just check those box off or box off or that you just came out of school yeah. and you've got this case study in your portfolio that looks right. It's the right template. It doesn't mean you're a senior designer. Right. Um, and so, Jeremy, to specifically answer your question, how do we talk about career path with them? Um, we've developed a matrix that takes uh, uh, members of our team through a specific path. Uh, we have... Uh, junior, mid, and senior to begin with. We call it associate, key, and senior. And then from there it forks, and you can either stay on the individual contributor path or you can go into the management track. And uh, we have committed at Workfront that there is equal seniority and equal pay both on the individual and contributor track and on the management track. That means that if I stay in the individual contributor track after senior, for me, that takes me to be a lead and after that, a principal. And a lead would be equal to a manager, and a principal would be equal to a director. Sure. Uh, and so, and that's something that there's fluidity in as well. So, you know, when we're specifically talking about flexible career paths, you could be a manager for a while and decide that it's not for you. Yeah. Which is the case for a lot of people, actually. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people that think they want to be a manager, and they try it, and they realize they don't. Yep. Honestly, it's not very fun. <laughs> um, it, it requires a certain personality and a certain skill set and a certain amount of grit to to be a people manager and it's honestly not that glorious either. Yeah. but a lot of the reason that a lot of people have wanted to go there is because they feel like it's the only way they can have a say or the way that they the only way they can feel like they can affect the product and they can help 
put something on the roadmap as if I'm a director, and it shouldn't be that. Well, you also might not have companies that have put such a uh, importance on having equal pay, equal importance type uh, structure between you know the principal route and the more management route, right? And so they see that if I want to excel, if I want to push my career, you have to go in the management route. So it's cool that you guys are looking at it differently. Well, and uh, there was an article that I just shared uh, a week ago on LinkedIn that had a perfect analogy. Think about sports stars, whether it's baseball or basketball. Do you think they want to be the coach? Right. <laughs> Do you think Michael Jordan wanted to be the coach? Is that what Michael Jordan was aspiring to, to be the coach? Absolutely not. He doesn't want to be the coach. He wants to be the star. Why? He wants to win the game. He wants to contribute to the thing. That's how it should be. Why, why is our career pathing and, and our structure inside of the work that we do so backwards yeah. and so messed up? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being the coach. There's a lot of people that want to be the coaches. And I can't honestly speak for Michael Jordan. I've never met him and know the desires of his heart. He started but, a restaurant, so maybe we should go, maybe go there. But, but there are certain people that want to be a coach. And if you want to do that, you should go up the management track. But I believe that most of the product managers and designers out there, that their desire is to create amazing products, yeah. not to manage people. Yep. That's great insight. I, I hopefully that answers the question, Jeremy, that you're you're asking here. Um, I want to move to the next question that we had. Go ahead. What was your name? Karen. Karen. Oh, are you seeing me? Okay. You can stand. Okay. Let everyone else see you too. <laughs> so my question is: so the, yesterday I read an article by Pixar telling rules about storytelling, and I'm wonder, I'm curious about how does that apply to product management? How do you set the vision to that? Product management, let's start with you guys. Sure. Yeah, I think storytelling is a huge component of product management and UX design as well. I think um, we, I've, I've always worked in consumer products, and you know, for a consumer, it's really important to tell a story for them to understand what it is that your product does and, and how it fits into their lives because consumers have lots of products to choose from, right? And they can, um, you know, they can be pretty fickle. And so... I think storytelling is as much a part of building a product as it is marketing the product and telling people what it is. Um, And I think it also is super important internally. So as a product manager, you're not only trying to build something amazing for your customer and really understand what it is they need, you're also oftentimes trying to um, influence people internally inside the company that this is the right path you should go down and here's why. And oftentimes, the best way to describe that to people is a way that they understand, and that's through storytelling. So I would definitely agree with that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, As I think about storytelling, and there's a lot of times it doesn't come natural for people. They don't think about, how do I I make this relatable? And so that's one thing that we talk a lot about on our product team, is being able to tell the story Give them something that, that's tangible. Talk about the actual pain point. And I know we hear that word pain point a lot. But, but f- being able to make it relatable to a, a designer or to a software engineer is, is what allows them to, to fall in love with the problem and become um, and actually embrace that and really care about it. And, and I use an analogy about it's like having a mechanic for a husband. And, they, and you can complain and can complain and complain about your car, um, but until you can describe a story 
or you can even better let him experience it and have him go take your car for a drive, that car's not getting fixed, ladies. So, you know, it's just one of those things that, that you know, product managers really do need to focus on that. And, and how do we move our software engineers as close to the customer as possible? How do we move our, you know, and, and I know UX and UI, I love working with our team closely because they have a way of asking the, the right questions that help you narrate and help you paint that picture. Um, and, and for me, working closely with our, with our artistic people um, just makes it all that much easier to, to be able to tell the story. And so, you know, it's invaluable to me, and that relations in, relationship is invaluable. One of, the, one of the things we would do as a design exercise with, with our clients was um, we would paint a scenario and we'd say, okay, your app, your mobile app is, is good at a lot of things, but what is the hero moment for your app? Um, and, and I think that relates to storytelling. If you, if you said, what is the cast of characters in a Marvel movie? What is the hero moment for that character? Um, and so if you're talking about an app, let, let's, let's pick on maybe Yelp or something. And you say, Yelp is good at a fair amount of things, but what is the hero moment for Yelp? And I think you have to, act, you have to unpack the story of like when someone's using this app, mm. and then what's the, what's the crisis that, where Yelp comes in as the hero? And if you, if you don't have a compelling crisis where your product is going to come in as a hero, then you, there's probably more work for you to do. Um, um, Albert's in the audience. I'm, I'm going to pick on you, dude. Sorry. Um, I remember a team, um, we're looking at layouts, we're looking at components and component design. And I was kind of coming into this meeting where the team was already in the, in the flow of a critique. And I, I had to stop the team and say, we're talking about boxes and arrows, but um, slow down and tell me a story about this component. Why, why is this component here, and why does it matter in this moment? And then, if I understand the context of what that component's supposed to do as a, as, a, as a place in a story, then I can evaluate whether it's doing a good job or not. Because um, you might say it's a video player, and video player is a known kind of component. Um, but if I know that, that the job of that component is to allow someone to download that so they can put it into a presentation, that's a totally different job for that component than I'm casually cooking dinner and I want something to entertain me in the background so I've got my Google Home device playing YouTube and that's a video player. Two different jobs, but once I understand the story of what's this person doing, what are they? what does success mean, and now it's not just two video players, it's okay, it's a tool to create some other presentation or, or it's passively entertain me while I do a chore. Yeah. I, sorry, as you talked about the hero moment, I, I um, Western Governors University has just introduced what, what we call North Stars and Sagas. And this is part of our, our framework that we ha- have to help um, take the vision from our high-level VPs and, and be able to take that down and, and, and be able to serve something up. And, and the format that it takes is actually a story. We have printed storybooks of uh, the life of a student five years from now and what the experience is like for that student. We don't get into specific technologies in that story. We don't get into specific features that are going to be developed. Instead, we're talking about the experience and the problems we're solving, and it's really a compelling tool to use. One, one thing I'd add specifically on the product management uh, side of this is that 
I think it's really important to use story to um, tell a narrative and help people empathize with what you're doing. Um, but I would caution to use that just as the narration. And then as a product manager, it's really important to go and back that up with your user data and event data, right? So this is what we're seeing. You know, we have, we have a user who's coming in specifically to use our product in this way. And you use the story to kind of get them to understand and see why you might want to use it that way. And then, um, you know, always back that up with, with here's how many people are actually doing it and how many people we can really help if we make this change. That's a great insight. Uh, forgetting to balance the research into this whole this whole project. Let me ask you guys a question because storytelling is such a uh, a coined term, if you will, or almost like a buzzword at this point in time. We've got to be able to you know storytell this. Um, what are things specifically? And I like the, the the hero moment. I like that analogy because I think that helps us figure out a little bit more about what the story is, but. What ideas do you guys have on like practicing storytelling? You know, how does someone actually prepare to do this outside of just in the moment? How can you start practicing storytelling now? One thing I've taught and, and we've read in, uh, I don't know if anyone's read the book Inspired recently, but it was um, in there there's a customer letter technique or there's also a press release technique where you can write um, a, a press release as if your product has already been released and you talk about the excitement of it and you talk about the impact of it and, and the difference that you've made to your audience. And so that can be a powerful tool. Yes, I think, uh, I think it's just the acknowledgement that people relate to stories. And so if you have a design team and you've created what you think is gold, um, but your executive team doesn't see it, um, package your product a as a story and, and draw out the storyboards of, here's a person in a retail environment and then they interact with this, this and that device have to interact together. And, and as, you're, as you're kind of framing that, um, um, and I, yeah, I'm realizing now my comment, I don't want you to apply that too broadly because certain organizations have executives that are going to be right there with you. Right. And you won't have to hold their hands through that. Other organizations, they're going to need you to tell a story about why this thing solves a problem. Yeah. Or, or there might be um, there might be instances where your exec, your executive team or your management team believes that they want a user to do a certain thing, and if if you can't connect the user's own desire to do that thing, that's a different you have a different problem. Yeah. So if you you can make that more relatable if you put it in the frame of we're going to tell a story now, and come with us executive team and look at this story, and is it believable? If, if you can't talk this person into using the product the way you think they should use it, um, you have a disconnect between what users naturally are going to do and, and what, a, what, you know, a, what a, the business logic says should ha the user should yeah. do. Uh, cool. My advice around storytelling is make sure that you understand when it's important to allow their creativity to paint the picture in their mind and when it isn't. So think about the times where you ah, that's where interesting. read a book first and then you've gone and watched the movie. Yeah. Remember how, how almost uh, uncomfortable that was when the lead character came out and they had red hair instead of brown hair? Because you, you, you knew they had brown hair because you saw that in your mind because that's the picture you painted when you read the story. Yeah. Uh, I've been seeing this with my kids. My wife's been reading the Harry Potter uh, books to my children and then as they've finished each one they've gone and watched the movie 
and it's been funny to hear the shouts from the basement as the kids, no, 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 that's not right. This is so different because they, they had seen the movie in their mind beforehand. So think about at work when you're trying to tell a story to someone, sometimes it's appropriate if you're in a creative session and you want that generation of ideas, then it might be appropriate to only tell an audible story to the team. But there are other times when you're trying to communicate something and you don't want artistic license to be taken because you don't want someone to walk out of a meeting with uh, an un, you know, 12 different understandings of, of how this should be. And so in that moment, which is more often, I've found most of the time, you don't want that that disconnect and that ambiguity. Yeah. And so if that's the case, make sure you're telling that story with a visual. Yeah. Uh, and it could be of various degrees of fidelity, but make sure you're telling it with a visual because that helps you to communicate more effectively. That's cool. I'm glad for the Harry Potter reference, too, because Voldemort was definitely scarier in my mind than he was in the movies. <laughs> Um, I want to rattle through a handful more questions, um, so maybe we'll, uh, we'll speed up our time so we can give you guys enough questions out there. So let me go ahead and jump over here. So this is getting back to the flexible career paths and kind of upskilling your current employees. And my question is, when you have lost team members, the ones that you wanted to keep, um, maybe they've gone on to new career paths or you know shifted directions, what do you wish that you had done in order to keep them? in order to keep them happy, keep them on your team, but also let them explore new options? It's a great question. I think this one kind of goes back to Jeremy's earlier question of how do you continue to coach people on your team uh, for what's next in their career, whether at your company or somewhere else. And one thing that I try to do with uh, people on my team is to be really clear about their objectives and my objectives and um, usually this is done on an annual basis. What are your objectives for the year personally in this role and what do you want to do at the company? And then I might have some input on object- objectives that I think could really help you as well. Um, and we use the OKR framework where um, each of those objectives has key results that you could measure. So uh, it might be something as simple as someone on my team wanted to be better at presenting and it's not something that you often get a chance to do in UX. And so... Um, I, I felt like, well, I can help you by giving you opportunities to speak in front of the company and maybe elsewhere and, you know, kind of coach you on those things. And I wouldn't have known that if you weren't clear with me about your objective. So I think that's part of it for when they are there. I think, you know, looking back at people that I wish I hadn't lost, um, maybe it would have been uh, better if I had been more clear and they had been more clear about what they wanted. And even even be clear about maybe what I want isn't here at this company. I am okay with that as a manager. If you know, if we're both on the same page that maybe the best place uh, for you to get the experience you need is somewhere else, well, I can help you get there, and I'm happy to help you get there, but I just I think that clear communication and um, clarity with your manager on what your objectives are, and I think the most likely they'll be really uh, happy to help you get there. Before we go on the rest of the panel, I'm curious, do you come from more of a in a management position right now? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet? Because I'm curious. I mean, you won't get this from any of these panelists up here, and hopefully not a lot of us have it you know, here in the audience, but if maybe your manager isn't the one taking the initiative to schedule those types of meetings or have those types of conversations, how comfortable are you guys with the employee then spurring those conversations, getting them started? 
I would. 100%. Yeah. I think it's great. We would love to see that. I know a lot of people get nervous, though, because they're like, I don't want to step on their toes. But I, too, I found that I would rather over-communicate. I would rather share what's on my mind before I start entertaining other offers that are going to take me other places. I mean, would you guys feel in line with that? Absolutely. Yes. Please. Yeah, I can't think of a time when someone said, hey, Joe, can we talk, that I've said, I don't want to make time for you. Yeah, let's do that in six months. No, uh, <laughs> for me, what the what the what plays in my head when someone says, "Hey, can we talk?" is, "Oh crap, you're quitting. Don't quit." <laughs> um, Hope you would have talked sooner. <laughs> talk sooner. But yeah, we should have talked sooner. And it's on me to make that happen uh, frequently enough. Um, but that's also a personal thing, right? Because frequently enough may be different for, yes, for someone. So if you're feeling like maybe it's not happening frequently enough for you, I think it's okay then to spur that conversation, get started, right? Yeah, I think there's another thing that should be said. And um, so one is about kind of coaching and mentoring people into new skills or new opportunities or new growth areas. I think another good thing that a, a good manager does is, um, I'm going to steal a quote from Marissa Meyer, um, who talks about a good manager plays defense, and it, meaning that a good manager um, knows why a person is in the role and defends why they should be in the role, and even might defend what that person is trying to do, even though they might be struggling at doing it. And and what I think that that creates this like safe zone for you and a, for a manager and a and a contributor to to um, work together on plus wanting their their skill. Um, but it sends a signal to that person that this person has my back. And even if yeah. I'm struggling to communicate my value, this person sees my value. Um, I think that goes a long way to people feeling like it, it's an organization where they can stick around. Because yeah. the external pressures come from all directions. Um, it might come from peers or from different departments or um, different teams. Um, even market pressures, but if, if you as a manager are um, help that person feel like you have their back and you have a shared vision of what their future is, I think that that's invaluable. Cool. We had a hand back here, then I'll jump up here. I'm trying to keep an eye on everyone. So if you have a question, make sure to raise them high. I'll make sure we try and get to you. So for someone who doesn't come from a product management background but is interested in potentially moving in that direction, what skill sets do you recommend that person build to lay a good foundation? Lauren, do you want to start that one? Yeah, sure. Um, this is actually something I've been thinking a lot about lately because um, we're actually looking for a product manager. And one thing, you know, here in Utah, it's already been mentioned on the panel, but it's pretty hard to hire right now. And... Um, I think there are a lot of people in that position where they have experience maybe elsewhere, but not uh, in a product manager role. And I don't really, I don't necessarily believe that you have to be have product experience to be a good product manager. I mean, almost somewhere else. Um, I think that something that we're really looking for, and it's hard to kind of explain and explain it to people and find it in people, is um, one an element of creativity. Uh, that's something that. If you can display that you have that, uh, it's super important in product. You're always trying to think of some creative solution to problems, and um, it's something that you're going to use again and again, and it's kind of hard to communicate in a resume, uh, but really important for somebody to pick up on. Um, I also think showing uh, that you have a background in 
being in some type of research, and that doesn't have to be, it could be social science research, it could be research, user research, just like show that you know how to try to understand a problem, uh, figure out what's going on, and then develop a hypothesis, test that hypothesis, and then use that to, to make the decision that you're making. That's something that's really important for product managers, and you actually get that training in a lot of different backgrounds not just in technology and not in usually the typical backgrounds that people come from. So, you know, kind of be creative in how you explain your experience um, and try to frame the things that you've done uh, in a way that you might you might use uh, in a career in product management. Hmm. That's interesting. I know a couple of uh, product designers who are really strong product designers. They actually came back, uh, came from a background of... Uh, Law. They were attorneys actually prior to becoming switching careers to be product managers. And I don't know what that says about attorneys, but these guys are really good at what they're doing as product managers. So I think they're. I think you can come from a variety of different backgrounds and still be successful in this. Uh, Nisa, do you have anything to add? Wait, I know you wanted. I was just. I was going to say uh, one of the uh, big skills that a product manager needs to have is that of sales. And I'm not saying you come from sales, but your job all day long is talking people into things, convincing mm. people of things, selling people on things, motivating people to do things. You, uh, you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to persuade. Uh, you've got to be able to rally people around and get them to do something that they, they, they didn't think was possible or when they were just on the brink of being burned out, you can push them forward a little bit more. Uh, when there isn't budget for something, you've got to be able to win it over. When uh, uh, your com- com- your biggest competitor comes out with the same product that you've been working for two years on and the, co- the entire company thinks that they're doomed, you're the one that is going to um, inspire them to keep moving forward. So that's a key trait that I would add to the, the excellent advice that Lauren already gave is is it really is a job of selling. If you're if you're the kind of person that wants to sit on your computer by yourself, it's you can't do that as as a, a product manager. It is not a a a, a personal, uh, very private type of a job that you can do. Does that mean that if you're an introvert, you can't succeed uh, as as a product manager? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it it is a, a, a requires a lot of interaction uh, and persuasion. There's a hand up in the back. Jake. Um, so Wade had mentioned uh, not many people kind of like last in leadership or don't do as well. Um, I'd be curious uh, to ask, like, why did you guys go into leadership and what's something that you didn't expect um, that was either tough or, or just interesting or horrible? Start with the horrible. <laughs> what did you say? An experience we had in leadership that was horrible? Yeah, just like going into it, something you didn't expect. Okay. Caught you off guard. Interestingly, I was just asked this question uh, just a couple weeks ago in an interview uh, with someone of, of why I did it. I actually didn't have a good answer for them. Uh, and I would say... Just initially, it was probably because that was the only track. Uh, our, our industry, product management and, and design, has not had good individual contributor tracks. And so uh, earlier on, it probably just was assumed. You know, I, I didn't make 
I don't feel like I made a conscious choice that says I specifically want want to manage people. But looking back, I do enjoy it a lot. Uh, it's harder than you would think. There are days you want to quit, throw the towel in. Uh, it's there. Are, I'll tell you, there's a lot of days where you miss designing product. It's it's you deal with politics all day long, uh, and and you are a uh, a psychologist more than than anything else. Uh, it, you know, you're. It's, uh, do you feel yourself emotionally tapped when you come home at the end of the day? You do. It's <laughs> it's and, and there's a lot of times where where you'll you'll miss just going on site with a customer and just sure. talking to them and hearing about what they're doing, or you'll miss just working with some color and drawing some, drawing some shapes and, and designing something. Uh, and so, uh, I think. Go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, just to jump in, I think um, some at some point um, I started an agency with two other partners, and we were very hands-on, all three of us, and we, we grew so that we could stack project teams underneath all three of us. And then we got to a certain point where, like, this is not sustainable, it's not scalable, we're all wearing too many hats. Um, and what we what we've, we had to organize ourselves in a different and better way, and my role, be- what was interesting for me is the design problem became how do I scale an agency and not the design problem of the specific client challenge that was in front of me that given, for a given project or a given account. Um, but I, I think that's, that's what's in my bones is like I want to first identify the right problem and then work to solve that problem. And I think that's what design is. And so if, you, if you're not sure where you want to be or where you want to go, um, anchor back to that I'm a problem solver and I want to solve the right problem because solving the wrong, wrong problem is waste and um, or, or solving the wrong solving a problem just for stylistic reasons also might be waste but um, I think in leadership um, uh, I've been in a very large enterprise organization and most of my day was meeting with different stakeholders and, and managing expectations and etc but I felt like my design problem was how do I get design to fit into this organization? How do I get design at the table where where the right where key decisions are made? That was the design problem. Um, so yeah. I think I don't know, and that's been satisfying for me because yeah. people would ask like, "Are you are you a little bit sad that you're not making layouts?" And and there's a, there's a there's a certain point where like, not really. I'm really proud of when I enabled someone to make a great layout. Or when I enable a designer to surprise me with something great, sure. um, I don't have to feel like I need to put my name on on that um, yeah. because I feel like I was a, a small part in enabling that to happen. Yeah. Answer your question about the surprise, if I may. I'd love to answer that one. You, what was that <laughs> thing that surprised me? What, one of the things that surprised me the most, and that was that I can't tell people what to do. And that might seem obvious, but when you move into management, um, you're still potentially designing, but you're designing a team instead of designing a product, uh, like he was saying. But even when you design that, I thought that, you know, I I'd learned so much and I'd done so much research and I knew the right way, the most efficient way to go do customer discovery call or the, the most efficient way um, to go through a process of, of validating uh, design or to prototype somewhat something. 
And I tried to hand that to teams, and it doesn't work. Mm. The, the teams don't want you to tell them the way to do it. Your job in, in, is, the, in, in addition to being a, a psychiatrist, your, your primary job is, is, could be labeled the VP of culture. When you're working at, at, at this level, your job is to create an environment where these teams can execute on their own. And so you can't hand them a template and say, go through these steps. You can't tell them what to do. You have to create an environment where they can create that themselves and, and, then, and then make it happen. And, and that, was, that was unexpected. I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Just one thing that I would add to it, um, being a leader is not about being in charge. It's, being, it's about taking care of the people that are in your charge. And if you lose track of that as a leader, you will start to struggle. And so I look at my role as a mentor, as a cheerleader, as, as someone who, to, who helps remove roadblocks. And that's what I do all day, every day. And there, it's, it's not glorious and, and it's not always, you know, it's not always fun, but when you help someone else see the vision and, and you see them succeed, that's when it's worth it. And that's when it's, it's just such an amazing experience to be part of their success. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just going to share my two cents. I know you've got much more uh, expertise on the other side of this panel here, but as I've moved from different leadership positions, you know, I jumped from startup to startup to startup, finally to a bigger enterprise company. And leadership at those startups is so much is so different than it is at a larger company. And I'm learning new skill sets at, at Domo now in a leadership position that I don't feel like I had experience learning at the startup. So while I think a lot of these skill sets that you need as a leader, as a manager, uh, are consistent, also trying to figure out what does management mean at the company I'm at? What is expected of me? How is it a little bit different? Because I do think it changes a little bit from company to company. Lauren, is there anything you want to add before we take the next question? Sure. I guess one thing that was, was kind of surprising to me, and maybe will be surprising to you if you haven't managed people before, is that you know there's a a lot of people are really concerned about making sure that their boss likes them, right, or that they're impressing their boss. I think being on the other side of it, I really want my team to like me. Like, I don't know if you guys feel that too, but you're like, please like me. I really want you. Like, it's kind of the same or more so? It's kind of the same in parenting. I'm noticing this pattern. Like, at a certain point, you can't tell your kids what to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like the greatest comment. And so your boss is trying, probably. They really want you to win. True. We'll go here. So, uh, returning back to Wade's comment about patience in your career and then kind of also the trying to define skill sets for project ma- or product management. I came out of college, went into a startup, and within a year, I was like the fourth most experienced person in the whole industry doing that. And I was like, cool, this is awesome. There's three people ahead of me, and one's my boss, and one's the coworker that got hired on like two weeks before me. So that's like this accelerated career path. And then in today's society and industry, we have all this like flexible career paths and ambiguity as to, well, what's the feeding career towards product management? Um, what would you say is the responsibility of the companies to stop asking for five-year experience engineer from my personal experience trying to hire an engineer and everyone else wants that exact same thing and they're getting four um, messages on, on LinkedIn or Slack or whatever it may be and our need to, as companies in the industry here in Silicon Slopes, 
to get those junior and entry level positions and grow talent in. Yeah. Number one thing we need to be doing is pro- providing mentorships. Go product time. Yes. And okay. also we need to be providing internships. So uh, it, it, uh, I think we've done a big disservice as, as an industry as well where we've lost a lot of uh, the, the practice that, that existed for so many centuries where someone would come in and they would be an apprentice and they would learn the trade and they would be able to move into mm-hmm. that. I, I believe we need much, much more than that. Um, so that's why I run an internship program at Workfront. Uh, we have uh, had very successful program there. We've hired, uh, th- last year we hired 50% of the people that came through our internship program. And we've, but we've also had great success stories of other companies that have hired the, the people that we didn't hire. And, and I've watched them uh, catapult their career forward because of that. So that's certainly one thing that needs to be happening is we need to be able to provide the opportunity for these people to get, in, get their foot in the door because you, you can't be demanding that someone has experience if you're not willing to give them some. Yeah, we definitely do need more internships out there. I, there's a lot of candidates. I mean, more internships, yes. Yeah. Yes, a lot of people are looking for internships. They're looking for their shot. They're looking for an opportunity to add experience under their belt. I think mostly, too. I mean, what are the steps that we need to take as a, a culture within Silicon Slopes and the tech industry in general to creating those entry-level steps? I mean, with an associate product manager or a product owner, I mean, there are some steps. I made the jump from project to product, and I was just like, well, I read Scrum, and I, I know how to make a Trello board, so what else do you need me to do <laughs> kind of thing? Check. <laughs> like, I think to that aspect – how do we come to define that career path more as leadership in the industry? It sounds like what I'm hearing from you is, is how could there be a more universal career path? You know, you know, we, we might have our paths that we have defined in our inside of our company, but you're saying that because of, disparity between different companies and then also small startups to big companies it's different and so how do you reconcile that is that what you're asking yeah i mean like you go look for insert xyz job and everyone has an abc llw or whatever is on their job title and you're like well i have no idea what that means but you say you have the skills that i need um how do we kind of solidify some kind of universality to it and the ability to say, I know what you can do and bring that in and not miss the good talent that could be a great product manager, a great UX designer, a great use researcher of our users. Like how do we get a common vernacular among our, our companies? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question directly. Um, Cause I think the industry could go to like certifications and like a document that says you're good at X um, but but I've seen the other side of it where, like, in 1999, the information architecture was this kind of emerging idea. Interaction design wasn't a thing, and 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 years late years years later, we have all all the stripes of and flavors of specializations in UX, um, including probably one of the more recent is is just a distinction between product design and web design um, when the, the roots of that are come from, coming from the same place. Um, look at a field like content strategy. 
um, it's it's probably a new field in the last five years that you could put a label on, but people have been doing content strategy for much, much longer. So I think I think part of it is, part of getting at your question is being flexible enough to realize that people have these skills to do these kinds of things, even though it's new and emerging. So imagine like voice search, for where voice search is going to take over typed search uh, or keyboard-based search. Um, it's already starting, and and so if you were to say, I need to hire a voice search designer or a voice interface designer, um, and you need someone with five years' experience, I don't think you should look for someone with five years' experience. Um, voice has been around for a long time, um, but uh, for, for you know, at least 15 years, but it's mainstream now, so you might be able to find those people that have been doing it for a long time, but the pro my, my point is... Um, if someone's good at solving problems and through an interview process you have enough rigor in figuring out if this person can solve the solve the right kinds of problems um, I think you have to figure out a way to find uh, to find that as I don't know if that comes out of an interview process or a certification or a fill in the blank but. I guess just to build on that, I think um, I think you're right with the interview being a key part of it. I think changing how we interview people could be a good way of understanding whether somebody is going to be successful in the role. One thing that I've learned is that it takes a lot more preparation as an interviewer to have a good interview than I had initially expected. Um, you really need to be prepared with what you're looking for and the kinds of questions that you want to ask. And uh, another thing that's been helpful in project management specifically is more of a case problem type interview where you know you're not talking about background and skills and talk me through the last years on your resume but instead let's work through a problem together and uh, have this kind of informal way of seeing how each other thinks and kind of work through it that way I think at least for PMs is a good way to to really assess if they're going to be a good fit for the role. So let me ask you then, Lauren, a follow-up question to that. Are you then looking in that process to identify some of like their soft skills then? Is that what you're looking for? Just see, is this someone I can work with? It's kind of a combination of things. You're looking for soft skills. Can we, you know, can we communicate with each other? Although that's kind of hard to assess sometimes in a, in a short interview. It can be, right. Some people are great interviewers and some people are really nervous. Um, it's more, if you can get them to a comfortable place and, and you know, try to do things to make them feel comfortable, and then you can start working on a problem together. I think it makes people, it takes them out of the normal interview, I need to present something, and more into let's collaborate. As now we're just working. working yeah. Together. Yeah, and if you can get close to that kind of working relationship, I think it's yeah. a good process. Yeah. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we're at time. Um, I, if I have one more thing I'd like to close with, if you're... Absolutely. All right, well, one thing that I ha that's been on my mind is I've thought about... Um, preparing for this and and not that you can really prepare for a panel but one thing that's really been on my mind is the fact that each of us as employees are responsible for our career path and we can't wait for our manager to come to us and and, and expect that they're going to take care of it for us and if if we didn't know that our Mount Everest was out you know that Mount Everest was out there what's the likelihood that we would actually go climb it probably zero. And so take the initiative to go out and find out what your career path is, what you want it to be. Um, at Western Governors, similar to what 
what Wade has um, at Workfront, we also have individual career or individual contributor paths that go clear to our director level, um, and and so and then VP level from that would be the next step. So understand what opportunities are out there. There are companies that if you're an individual contributor, five out of eight of my product managers want to take an individual contributor path. Um, I, and I don't know what the, the stats are across our product management team, but for my direct reports, I know that. Um, understand what it is for you. Understand what drives you. But I think even more importantly, as, as you are um, helping to grow the, the tech um, the tech industry here in Silicon Slopes and, and throughout the world. Talk about your careers with people around you. There are people, when I grew up, I grew up in the backwoods. And I'm talking backwoods like there was no one to play with but our siblings and our cousins. And the animals there, they just accepted us as their own because they didn't know what people were. You know, we were just one of them. And so, but I did know, you know, we were hardworking people. We were solid of the earth, but I had no idea what the possibilities were. And so as I went on um, and I, you know, I got into sixth grade and some snotty little girl put her hand on her hip and looked at me and said, ooh, are you poor? You know, I knew that I didn't ever want my kids to feel like that. And I didn't know where and I didn't know when and I didn't know how, but someone you know, one day helped me figure that out. And his name was Carlton Van Putten. He was a product manager at um, Apple in his early days. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to be a great product manager someday. And fortunately, he had an honest face. And I believed him. And so I, you know, that's how I got in. I didn't know what product management was. And he gave me a chance and there are people that don't know what product is. There are people that don't know anything about software design. They don't know anything about what UI or UX is. And, you know, these guys are throwing out terms over here that I'm looking at them going, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, talk about your careers. Get people excited. Help them find their Everest. It's a, I think it's very important as we go through this. And just one more quick story. My sister called me, and she said, Hey, Nisa, I'm so excited I'm going, to, I'm going to get my master's degree in accounting. Long pause on the phone, and I sat there. And you've got to understand, I'm a first-generation degree or a first generation college student. First, second person in my family to get my bachelor's degree. First person in my family to get, and only person in my family to have a master's degree. And so when my sister says this, you know, of course she's thinking, wow, this is going to be, she's going to be so excited for me. Well, I, I sat there, long silence on the phone. She's like, niece, are you there? And I said, Becky, don't do it. Don't do it. And she, you know, I, she got really quiet, and I knew I'd made her feel bad. And, and I said, do me a favor. Before you enroll in your accounting degree, I want you to go on, and I want you to check out data science. Google it. Find out about what careers are out there. Find out about what sal salaries there are as a data scientist. And, uh, you know, she called me back two weeks later, and she says, I started my master's degree, and I'm so proud to say she just finished six months in her master's program and is learning Python, um, and she's, taking, uh, she's doing her master's in data science. And so talk about your careers. Help other people find their Everest. There are educational opportunities out there. Every single person in this room has the opportunity and the ability to be a mentor to someone. You already know more than someone else. Um, if you've been in your career, you've been in product management for one year, you know some you know more and you can help somebody even figure out how to get started. Um, somebody asked a question about what what to do right there in the middle. 
what kind of things to do. There's a great product manager over here. His name is Darren Lucas. He is new in uh, the product industry probably a year, year and a half now. He figured out a path, and he figured out a way, and he is mentoring others on how to do that. So look, ar look around, but talk about your careers and get excited about it and share it with others. And thank you again for coming now. Thank you for being part of this tonight, and thank you especially to our Product Hive team. Let's give them a round of applause. A big thanks to Wade Shearer, Lauren Treasure, Joe Pemberton, Nisa Farley, and Dylan Winspear, and again to Western Governors University for hosting the event. If you learned some things from this discussion, be sure to share it with your team, or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com, and while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events.